Please take a seat. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we've just sung, we pray now that in your truth you would now direct us by your Spirit and through your Word, and that your grace in Christ would meet all of our needs as we trust in him who is our Lord. In his name we pray these things. Amen. Well, please do have your Bible open at those closing verses tonight of Deuteronomy chapter 15. We're approaching halfway through this hugely significant book of the Bible now. I remember at this point in the unfolding story of the Bible, the people of Israel have come through the wilderness. They're camping out now close to the River Jordan. They're getting ready to cross the river and enter into the promised land that God had promised to give them ever since the days of Abraham. And yet before and enter that land, Moses sits them all down and he preaches God's word to them. And he gives them this series of sermons, which we know as the book of Deuteronomy. It's all been written down for our benefit as well. And in this book, this is what Moses is doing. He's reminding God's people of that special covenant relationship with God that they have. This God who has rescued them from slavery and brought them to himself and entered into this relationship with them at Mount Sinai. And so they're reminded of that relationship and then they're told, well, what does it look like now for you as God's people as you go into that land that God has given to you? What is it going to look like for you to be faithful to this God and faithful in your relationship with him as you settle down and live in that chunk of land, the promised land that he's about to give you? That's what the book is about as a whole. And the second half of chapter 14 and all of chapter 15 can be tied together with this overarching theme of honoring God with material wealth. Honoring God with material wealth. So starting from chapter 14, verse 22, there's the law there about tithing. And then following on from the tithing law, there are a few other laws all about caring for the needy, giving resources to the needy so that they can be cared for in the land as well. And tonight we come to this final little bit of this particular section of Deuteronomy about honoring God with material wealth. And that is this law to do with the firstborn of the livestock. Now, of course, in those days, uh, in that kind of society, a person's wealth was usually measured in terms of how much livestock they owned. And as we shall see, there was a special way in which they were to honor God with the firstborn males within the herds and flocks that they owned. Now, very simply, we'll see tonight that there are basically two parts to this law concerning the firstborn. 
We can sum them up in a single word each. Dedication and sacrifice. And so we'll look at those two things, dedication and sacrifice. And then finally at the end, we'll just see how this points us forward to Jesus himself. So here's the first of these two bits of the law. The firstborn male must be dedicated to the Lord. The firstborn male must be dedicated to the Lord. And that's what we find in verse 19, isn't it? Moses says, all the firstborn males that are born of your herd and flock, you shall dedicate to the Lord your God. Now you might ask, well, why the firstborn in particular? Why not just any sheep or goat or or lamb or, or whatever? What's special about the firstborn? Now the background to this is the story of the Exodus. You remember the 10th plague. Through Moses, the Lord said to Pharaoh, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And you see, don't you, the threatened judgment in that tenth plague was not just against the firstborn children, which is what we normally think about, but as well as that, the firstborn of the cattle, the livestock as well. And yet God in his mercy, of course, provided a way to be rescued from that coming judgment of God. He provided in particular the Passover lambs who must be killed and then their blood smeared on the doorposts of each household. And if in faith God's people did that, their firstborn, the firstborn children and the firstborn livestock would be spared. And that's why the firstborn in particular, is of special significance to Old Testament Israel. God, in his grace and mercy, saved their firstborn from judgment at the Exodus. And now Israel, in turn, must dedicate their firstborn to him. Straight after the Exodus had happened, God said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Bound to this law. And elsewhere in the law, uh, Moses tells us how firstborn children are to be dedicated to God. But here the focus, of course, is on the firstborn livestock. And in particular, the firstborn males of the herd and the flock sheep and cattle and also whatever else they had must be dedicated to God. And what does that look like in practice to dedicate this firstborn to the Lord? Moses tells us in the rest of verse 19, you shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd nor shear the firstborn of your flock. So if you had a little lamb that was the first one born from that particular ewe, or if you had a 
a little calf that was the first one born from a, a certain cow. You were to set it apart for God, dedicate it to him entirely. In other words, you were to consecrate it or to, to set it apart as holy to God. And so that lamb could not be sold in the market to make you any money. You couldn't shear its wool to make yourself a, a woolly jumper. Uh, if you had a, a firstborn ox, uh, you couldn't ever put it to work on the farm, pulling a plow or, or whatever. The point was simply this firstborn animal belonged to God, not to you. 100% set apart for God, not for you. So that's the first aspect of the law. Very simply, the firstborn male must be dedicated to the Lord. And then secondly, the firstborn male must be sacrificed before the Lord. Sacrificed before the Lord. And that's verses 20 to 23. So what do you do with this firstborn male from your herd or flock that you have obediently set apart as dedicated to God? Well, it has to be offered before God as a sacrifice, says Moses. And he says, you must take it to the place that God will choose. Now, that's Moses' way in Deuteronomy of saying, wherever God tells you to put up the tabernacle, and after that, wherever God tells you to build the temple, that is the place where you must take the firstborn male of your herd or your flock. And there, in that place, it must be sacrificed before God. So take it to the priest in the tabernacle or later on the priest in the temple at Jerusalem. Take it to the, the man whose job it was on that particular day to slaughter the animals in sacrifice. Go to that priest and say to him, this little lamb is a firstborn. And I have dedicated it to the Lord. And now I bring it here to be sacrificed before the Lord. And then the priest would take the lamb or whatever animal it was. And the priest would offer it as a sacrifice before God. Dedication and sacrifice. So far, so straightforward. But I want you to take notice of this. There are three aspects of the sacrifice that Moses emphasizes here. First of all, he emphasized the participation in the sacrifice. The participation in the sacrifice. Now, just step back from this for a moment. When you read the Old Testament law, and you read all the different laws about various sacrifices, one thing that you notice is that not every sacrifice was treated in exactly the same way. For example, some sacrifices, the whole offering was placed on the altar and all of it was burned up there, nothing left over. In other sacrifices, the sacrifice was divided. Some of it was placed on the altar and burned up and the rest of it was to be eaten, but only by the priests. It wasn't just for the general public. Only the priests could eat those bits of meat. But in this particular sacrifice, there is a real emphasis on participation in the sacrifice. Uh, that is, the whole family, you see, is, 
invited along. Moses says, when you take that firstborn animal to the tabernacle or to the temple in Jerusalem and you hand it over to the priest for him to sacrifice it, don't just go on your own. Don't leave the rest of the family back home. No, take your whole household. That means take your whole family and as well as that, take any servants that are working for you in your household. The whole household is to go along. And then when the animal has been sacrificed, you and the whole household, you're to sit down together in the courts of the temple. And together you are to have a meal before God, eating this firstborn. You'd have this special meal, feasting on roast lamb or roast beef or whatever it may have been, with your whole household before the Lord. That's what Moses is saying, isn't it, in verse 20. You shall eat it, you and your household, before the Lord your God, year by year, at the place that the Lord will choose. And so you see, don't you, there is this emphasis here on participation in the sacrifice. The whole household is all invited along. Everyone's included. And in this way, all of God's people will become partakers in the sacrifice of the firstborn. So there's emphasis on participation in the sacrifice. And then secondly, there is emphasis on the perfection of the sacrifice. The perfection of the sacrifice. So imagine you've got a ewe in your flock of sheep and it's heavily pregnant with the, the first lamb it's ever produced. And you're thinking to yourself, well, when that lamb is born, I need to do these two things. Firstly, I must dedicate it to the Lord. Don't sell it for profit. Don't shear it for wool. Nothing like that. That lamb is going to belong to God and must be set apart, dedicated to God. And then secondly, it must be sacrificed before the Lord. And I need to take it to the temple in Jerusalem. I need to get the priest to sacrifice it there. And then I and my household will have this feast together at the temple before God. But then the due date or whatever arrives and that lamb is born and you have a look at it and you realize it's not a great specimen in all honesty. Maybe it's lame, maybe it's blind, maybe it has some other obvious defect. So what do you do now? Well, Moses spells it out in verses 21 and 22. He says, but if it has any blemish, if it is lame or blind or has any serious blemish whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You shall eat it within your towns. The unclean and the clean alike may eat it as though it were a gazelle or a deer. That is, as though it were just normal meat. Now you see, for it to be sacrificed before the Lord, it must be without blemish. It must be a perfect sacrifice. And if that firstborn male in any way falls short of that... You cannot sacrifice it before the Lord. Instead, it's just slaughtered in a normal way, uh, back in your hometown, wherever you live. And you still arrange that feast, but you arrange it at home instead. And once again, everyone is included. Your whole household, even those who are ritually unclean, 
everyone is invited along. And so still there is that theme you notice of participation. But only if there's perfection can there, can there be a sacrifice offered before the Lord at the temple. And then finally under this second point, see how Moses emphasizes the blood of the sacrifice. And he says whether the animal is killed and eaten at the temple or whether it's killed and eaten at home, either way there is this special emphasis on the blood of the firstborn. Moses says in verse 23, only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. Now why is that? Now, this is something we've come across a number of times before in Deuteronomy, isn't it? We've seen that under the Old Covenant, blood had special symbolic significance. And the scriptures say blood was symbolic of the very life of an animal. And so as such, the blood of an animal being poured out was a sign of its life being poured out unto death. Again, think of the background of the Passover and the story of the Exodus. The blood of the Passover lambs put on display above the doors, as it were saying, the firstborn of this house will be saved from death under the judgment of God because another death has occurred in this place. A substitute has died for them instead. And here's the blood to prove it. And God spells out the full significance of this blood symbolism in Leviticus 17 where he says, The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood. That's why the Israelites weren't allowed to eat blood. That's why in the sacrificial system, as we see here, there is special regard paid to the blood of the sacrifices. Because under the old covenant, blood, and particularly the blood of sacrifices, was a God-given symbol that though every worshipper deserves death under God's judgment because of their own sin, that God himself has provided a substitute, a sacrifice, whose life has been poured out to death in their place so that they can have life by God's grace. And that sums up the law concerning the firstborn as we find it here in Deuteronomy 15. In summary, it is as follows. The firstborn male must be dedicated to the Lord and the firstborn male must be sacrificed before the Lord. And in that sacrifice, Moses says, pay special regard to these three things. The participation in the sacrifice, the perfection of the sacrifice, and the blood of the sacrifice. Now the big question for us, of course, is what does all of this mean for us as God's people today? And as I said earlier on, as we look at this law concerning the firstborn, we should see that ultimately it is a foreshadowing of Jesus. 
This law was intended by God to give the people of Israel yet another picture in advance of the coming Christ. And the New Testament tells us that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the firstborn male. So, for example, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, we heard this verse at the start of our service in our call to worship tonight. That verse refers to Jesus simply as the firstborn. And then in a similar way, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul describes Jesus as the firstborn of all creation. You see, Jesus is the ultimate firstborn, the New Testament tells us. And furthermore, every element of the law concerning the firstborn that we find in these verses of Deuteronomy 15 finds its ultimate fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. So to start with, as the firstborn, Jesus was wholly dedicated to God. And when those firstborn lambs and other animals were born, as we've seen, they had to be wholly dedicated to God, set apart for him, not for anything else and not for anyone else, entirely his, entirely for him. And in a similar way, from the very moment that he entered into this world, Jesus himself was set apart, dedicated to God in every way. So in Luke chapter 2, we read that Mary and Joseph brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. You see, don't you there? He is the ultimate firstborn. And as Jesus grew up and as he lived his life, his whole life was set apart for God, dedicated to him. Obedient to him in every way. Jesus says that of himself. He says in John's gospel, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And when Jesus is about to be arrested and go to the cross the next day, he prays to his father in the upper room and he says that I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. You see, don't you, Jesus was wholly dedicated to God, set apart entirely for him, for nothing else and for no one else. And as the ultimate firstborn, his whole life was perfectly consecrated, set apart only for God to do his work alone. And none of us have lived a life anything at all like that, have we? Our lives are shot through with sin and with disobedience. And yet you see in Jesus we have one whose life was dedicated to God perfectly, 100%, from start to finish. And as well as that, as the firstborn, Jesus was sacrificed before God. And just as those firstborn animals had to be taken to Jerusalem in order to die there, Jesus knew that that was what he would undergo as well as the ultimate firstborn, that he would have to go to Jerusalem and he must give his life there and do so as a sacrifice before God. And not only that, but also notice that those three elements of the sacrifice of the firstborn that Moses 
emphasizes in Deuteronomy 15 all find their ultimate fulfillment in the death of Jesus. So firstly, notice the participation in the sacrifice. In what special way did the people of Israel participate in the sacrifice of the firstborn? Well, we've seen already, haven't we? Moses said to the people in Deuteronomy 15, participate in the sacrifice of the firstborn by coming together as a family for a special meal before the Lord, in the Lord's presence. And you see, in a very similar way, Jesus says to us as his people today, you can participate in my sacrifice for you by coming together as a family for a special meal before the Lord in my presence. <coughs> Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, as he speaks of the Lord's Supper, he says the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And you see, don't you, this imagery of this, this participatory meal in Deuteronomy 15 finds its correspondence in the Lord's Supper, this participatory meal. The Shorter Catechism puts it like this. It, it says, The Lord's Supper is a sacrament wherein, by giving and receiving bread and wine according to Christ's appointment, his death is showed forth, and the worthy receivers are not after a corporal and carnal manner, but by faith made partakers of his body and blood with all his benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. What a blessing it is for us as God's people today to be invited by Jesus to a meal like that, the Lord's Supper, where by faith in him we can participate in his sacrifice and be nourished by him. And then notice secondly, the perfection of the sacrifice. As we've seen, only a firstborn without blemish could be offered as a sacrifice before God. Otherwise, it just had to be killed in a normal way. Otherwise, it wasn't fit to be offered before God as that sacrifice. And again, Jesus fulfills this picture for us, doesn't he? In First Peter chapter 1, Peter describes Jesus there as like a lamb without blemish or spot. In other words, Peter is saying he is perfect. He is the perfect firstborn male. He's tempted in every way that we're tempted. And yet he never once sinned. And it's only because he was perfect that he could offer himself as a sacrifice before God in order to save us. And if there were but one blemish in the life of Jesus, one sinful thought, or one sinful word, or one sinful deed, that would be enough to rule him out of being our saviour. He could not be offered as a sacrifice for our sin. 
if there were any blemishes in the life of Christ. But thank God he is perfect. He's the lamb without blemish. He lived a spotless life in order to save us. And then notice thirdly and finally the blood of the sacrifice. What was the cost for Jesus as he went to the cross? What was the extent of the sacrifice that he made for us as the ultimate firstborn? That's what the blood is all about, isn't it? It was the greatest cost of all. And the cost was that he poured out his very life unto death at Calvary. And as he hung there on the cross, he died under the judgment of God that we deserve for our sin in order to set us free from it forevermore. He went to the cross as our substitute, dying so that we can live forevermore. And again, Peter writes, you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And Paul says in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Well, if you've got sheep or cattle back home on your farm, and some of you do, rest assured, as God's people today, uh, we don't need to do anything special with any of the firstborn from the herd or the flock. That's not the point for us as God's people today, is it? But here's the thing. Whoever you are, you need Jesus. That's the point of all of this, isn't it? Whoever you are, you need Jesus. That's what all of this is driving us towards ultimately. That Jesus himself is the ultimate firstborn whose whole life was entirely dedicated to God and who was then sacrificed before God and he is the perfect one without any blemish whose life was poured out to death and this evening if you're trusting in him then you have come to participate in everything that he did for you as the ultimate firstborn let's pray together Father, we give to you our praise and thanksgiving for Jesus, who is your only begotten Son. And he is, as Paul calls him, the firstborn of all creation. And we praise you that Jesus came into this world and he lived a life entirely dedicated to you. His was a perfect life, the life we should have lived but have failed to live. And it was his delight to do all that you had sent him to do. And we thank you that having lived that life dedicated to you, he then died a perfect death, giving himself as a sacrifice before you, suffering the punishment that we deserve so that we can be forgiven, we can be set free, we can be reconciled to you and have life forevermore. And we thank you that by faith alone, in him alone, we come to participate in all that he did for us. We thank you that Christ and all his benefits are ours through faith in him. And we thank you that in that very special way, when we gather to the Lord's table, 
there we participate in the body and blood of Christ given for us, enjoying spiritual food and drink in order to nourish us in our faith and to grow us in grace. Father, we give you our praise for all of these things. We thank you for Jesus, and in his name we pray. Amen.